Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Is there anyone else in this room here besides me that has trouble making decisions? I, I see some hands going up. I hate decision makings. Is there anyone else maybe in here that when you look at a diner menu, you have an emotional shutdown? It's 13 pages, and you know you have three minutes to make one choice, and it's almost better just not to go or just to stay home, you know? I know for me, sometimes I would rather not go on vacation than have to choose the place I'm going to go, because what if it's a flop? What if it's a bomb? You know, I, you don't get to do this very often, and I don't want to mess it up. I'd almost rather not go than have to choose. Maybe you remember, or maybe you're in that time of life right now where you're making decisions about your future, what you're going to do for work, what you're going to do for a career, where you're going to go to school, or what you're going to do after high school. And that can be extremely anxiety-inducing <laughs> because you think, well, I don't want to mess this up. You know, this is a major decision, and I don't really know what I want to do or if I'm going to like it in 10 years. You know, this is very difficult for me. Sometimes making decisions can be an extremely difficult thing. Choices have consequences and outcomes. Now, I was brought up by an investment broker. My dad was a stockbroker. And every Saturday morning, we would get the newspaper, and he would stay home, and we'd sit around the table. And when I would look over his shoulder as he read the paper, this is what I would see. That, not, yeah, there it is. <laughs> that, right there. He would be looking at the stock charts. And, he would, and I mean, you've ever seen those before. If, you, if they still do it, I don't know. But, but you would see like a full page with print. You almost need a magnifying glass just to see the thing. And he'd be going over it, you know, and the whole thing and, and reading it. And I'd just look at it. And then I would go to my thing. What I looked at was this. That, that was my, my page, you, you know, the whole thing. But, but I just remember my dad, that was his life. And, and he was always talking to people about stocks and bonds and indexes and portfolios and fund, mutual funds and, you know, all these different things. And he was talking to people about choices, putting things in your portfolio, investing in things that will set you up for your future. And I remember even at that age, even as a boy looking at that and seeing my dad do that. And I, I remember thinking to myself that if I never look at that page, I might never have an anxiety attack in my life. There's just too many things to choose from. I can't handle that. It's overload for me. And you know what? Pretty much I was right. I've never looked at that page and I really haven't really ever had an anxiety attack. I also, I, I also shop at Aldi's and not Whole Foods, you know, because there are certain benefits to knowing what that page looks like and means, you know, but it's just too much for me. It's the decisions, it's the choices and all these things. Now, listen, not everybody has an investment portfolio, but everybody does have a spiritual portfolio. Every one of us has things, invisible assets, invisible attributes that we take to ourselves, that we hold, sometimes that we sell and let go of. There are invisible assets, invisible entities, things that we take inside of us that also are investments, choices that we make that lend themselves to our future, whether it will be blessed and prosperous or whether it will not. Now, Paul the Apostle labels three of these in one verse. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, and you guys probably know it well. He said this, he said, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, these are all absolutely some things, but they're invisible some things. They're invisible assets that we can choose to either embrace and take to ourselves, or we can leave them on the table. And believe me, it is a choice. Sometimes we can think that these are events, things that happen to us. Well, I just got hit with faith, or I got hit with hope, or I got hit with love. It doesn't really work like that, though sometimes it might feel like it. 
These are things that we choose. We choose to believe something or not to believe it. We choose to have hope and rejoice and hope or to despair and be pessimistic and despondent. We choose to love someone, even though love has a feeling associated with it. That's not the foundation of it. Love begins with a choice. We choose to love. And so if we invest in these things and we put faith, hope, and love in our spiritual portfolio, then that's going to look like something. It's going to pay dividends. There's going to be something along the way, and it's going to bring us somewhere. It's going to do something for us in our lives. Now, there are other things, invisible things, that we can also put in our portfolio. Maybe not so positive things like, like fear, like stress, like worry. And we can take those things and we can choose to live under those and allow those things to influence and inform our decisions and inform our lifestyle and inform who we become as people. We can choose to do that if we want. And that also is going to pay dividends and look like something in our life. And it's going to lead us somewhere. The choice is ours. Now, there are a number of people in scripture as you go through the Bible and you read it. And, and they had this amazing ability to see, not with the eye, but with the heart, some of these invisible entities, faith, hope, and love, and other things that God talks about in his word. It's almost like they could see something that was invisible, and then they made a decision that they were going to live by those things, that those things would be the hallmark of who they are as people, that they, those things would inform their decisions and shape their personality and their destiny. And so what we call those people, what I call those people, are decisionaries. They had a vision of something that can't be seen with the naked eye, the physical eye, and they made a decision or a choice to live according to that vision, what they could see, and then it looked like something in their life. So what I want to do is over the next three, maybe four weeks, you see what I just did there? <laughs> I want to look at people in the Bible, decisionaries, a couple that had the ability to see what was invisible, decide that they were going to live according to it and see what it did in their life. The fourth week, maybe we'll look at someone who chose some of the negative things, you know, and what it did in their lives. But here's my hope. My hope is that in the process of it, we might see our own portfolio, that we would see what, what we've done, what we have chosen to embrace, and that maybe we would be willing, able, enabled by God to let go of some things that need to be sold and maybe to buy some things, to take some things to ourselves that maybe right now we're low on, that we need a little bit more of. And so tonight I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about what it means to choose faith, to live by faith. And I've chosen Hebrews chapter 11 as my text tonight that will springboard off of, because it really is for us the definition. It defines for us and gives us a clear picture of what faith is so that we can understand something that we cannot see. It's invisible, but yet it exists. And so verse one, if you look back at Hebrews chapter 11, what it gives to us is the definition of faith. It is faith defined in verse one. Webster's Dictionary, no, Hebrews Dictionary, God's Dictionary. It says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now that is an amazingly philosophical and deep verse. One of the principles that we have as pastors and teachers is that we feed sheep, not giraffes meaning that we try to keep things simple. We try to keep the food low to the ground and not so high that only a few people can reach it. But right there, that just throws that all off the table, all right? Because that, that's an amazing philosophically advanced statement that was just made concerning faith. He just said that faith, which is something that is completely invisible, is a substance, meaning that there's some matter, there's something to it that's visible or tangible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, of something that's invisible. So it's, it is something, it isn't something, what is it? But then he says that it's the evidence of things not seen. So here's, here's how that breaks down, okay? Faith is invisible, and yet it's called a substance. 
but it's a substance of something that is yet to come. It's something that has not appeared yet. It's not here yet. Now, that automatically makes faith a very powerful thing. Because what it essentially means is that belief precedes benefit. Belief comes first before the actual thing is produced. That makes it very powerful. Here's why it's even more powerful than that. Because once that thing is produced, that faith faced into existence, that something now becomes the evidence that faith actually works, that faith actually exists. And so faith precedes the benefit or the blessing, but then the blessing produces and inspires faith because it can see what faith produced. Now he goes on and he says this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse two. He says, for by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Now, let me just bring that into the modern translation for you, all right? They had a good portfolio. I wanna show you the graph of what those who live by faith look like their life. Here it is, it's on the screen. It's gonna go up right, right now. This graph is gonna go up, there it is. You see that? If you live by faith, then the quality of your life over time will always be up and to the right. That's what Hebrews 11 chapter two says, that by it, the elders had a great portfolio. You look at those that live by faith and you see that they were glad that they did it. It was a good thing to add to it. Now watch this, verse three. He backs up what he said in verse one. He says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen, that is matter, existence, rocks, trees, the, the chair that you're sitting on, your physical frame, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Okay, the things that are visible came from something that was invisible. In other words, material reality manifested by invisible commodities. Okay, the invisible commodity is faith, and faith manifested physical reality, okay? First, there was the invisible that produced the physical. Then the physical testified of the invisible, and it produces faith. We understand faith through it. Now, you're like, okay, I'm not a giraffe. I'm a sheep. <laughs> I don't get it. Meditate on it. Think about it. He is explaining to us that faith is an extremely powerful substance. It's invisible, but it's real, and it produces something, and it feeds upon itself. It becomes a self-feeding mechanism where faith produces more faith, which produces more faith, and it keeps on going. It snowballs. Now, he's going to give us two case examples because I know some of you are thinking, well, what, what does this mean? Explain this, because are you about to drop the prosperity gospel on us that I can just confess money into my wallet? And I can just believe health into my bones, you know, even though I don't take care of myself, you know, I can, is that what this is about? No, 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 no. Listen, listen, because he's, he's going to, he knows that we would think that, okay? So he's going to explain to us, he's going to give us two examples in his introduction of what this actually looks like in life. Case one, he goes all the way back to the beginning to the story of Cain and Abel. Notice in verse four, he says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead yet speaks. Okay, so way back at the beginning, Adam and Eve, they have two boys. Their names were Cain and Abel. And they both brought a sacrifice to God. You can read about it in Genesis chapter four. Abel was a shepherd he brought a sheep. He had learned from his parents that when God made an offering, he offered a lamb. When God clothed sin, God killed a lamb and clothed Adam and Eve with the skin of the lamb. Now that doesn't make sense to the natural mind that I would kill something that's pure and innocent for the sake of my disgust or guilt or whatever the sin. That doesn't make sense that God would even want that. Why would God want me to kill something that's pure and innocent? It, 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 it short circuits the intellect. It doesn't make sense to me, but he did it by faith, Abel did, because it was how God 
showed that that's how it's to be done. It's to be a lamb. That is my righteousness, a lamb. Now, Abel, he was smarter than that. Abel was an intellect. Abel thought, well, God would be more pleased with something that I produce of myself, my sweat, my labor, my sacrifice, what I can do and what I can produce. And so Cain grew a garden and he brought the very best of the produce of his garden and he offered it as an offering to God. Now, the Bible tells us that God received and respected Abel's offering of a lamb, but that God rejected and refused Cain's offering that was offered in goodwill and was the best, but it wasn't what God asked for, and thus his offering was refused. God said no, okay? Now, Abel received the approval and the favor and the blessing of God because of what he did in faith. He did it in faith. And thus the blessing of God came into his life. Cain, on the other hand, was rejected. Now, we're, we are not told how this played out and how it manifested, but we can look at the rest of the Bible and we can look at God's record and how he works in people's lives and we can understand what happened. What happened is this, is that Abel had a relationship with God by faith, and God placed something in Abel that was, as the Bible calls it, his blessing. And that's a word that's extremely hard to define. And what does it mean when God blesses someone? God blessed Abraham. God blessed David. God blessed Solomon. God blessed his church. What does that mean? It means that God placed something inside of Abel because of his faith that was so deep, it spilled over into every other part of his life. Now, the blessing that God put in him really manifests itself in three ways. It's not a blank checkbook where, you know, he could just ask for whatever he wanted and confess money into his wallet and all that. But it was something that was observable. There was a harmony and a serenity in Abel's life. The presence of God was in him. He was full of light there was, a, there was like a, a, a lift in what he did, what he put his hands to prospered, and everyone that was around him could see that God was with him, that God was in him. When he would do something, God would come behind it, and God would prosper it and bring it forward, forth and forward and cause it to move. Now, Cain, on the other hand, it was completely the opposite. His life was just frustration. Everything that he tried to do, it didn't work. Every time he put his hand to something, it failed. Every time he touched a tool, it broke. You know, everything was just backwards. And he became frustrated because he felt like he did more than Abel. And yet God was with Abel and God had rejected him. So the blessing of God was observable. It was in his life. The blessing of God was also available. Because when you read Genesis chapter four, verse seven, God actually spoke to Cain. And he said, look, I'm not choosing Abel over you. If you do what's right, that is live by faith, then you also will be accepted. The blessing of God is not for some and not for others. It's openly and readily available to all, but God prescribes where it comes from. So it was obvious. It was also accessible. And third, it was sustainable. Now, what do I mean by that? That it was sustainable. It means that when God put his blessing in Abel's life, it was something that even the grave couldn't take away from him. That's what it says in Hebrews, what we just read in chapter 11, verse 3. It says that by faith, Abel made a more excellent offering than Cain. And it says this at the end of the verse. It says that he, being dead, yet speaks. Meaning that what God put in Abel, even the grave couldn't take away. And when God puts his blessing, when God puts his spirit in your life, then nothing can take that away from you. You can't lose it. It's something that God has given to you. It's sustainable. And it's something that's accessible to everyone who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says this, or verse 14, it says that the blessing of Abraham, same blessing that was on Abel, on David, on Solomon, the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How? Through faith. It isn't by what we do, 
It isn't by what we give or how hard we work or how much we sweat. It's about trusting in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and receiving God's gift of forgiveness and communion with him by his spirit by believing what he said about Jesus and about our sin and about our receiving of him for forgiveness through repentance and faith. He comes in and that blessing of God is in us. And listen, when the blessing of God is in your life through faith, nothing can take it away from you. See, it's in you. It's not about your circumstances or what you have. You can lose everything that you have, but it doesn't matter because the quality of your life, the serenity of your life, the forward movement of your life is not dependent upon what you have right now or what you've done for yourself. It's about what God has placed in you. So you can lose a job, but if the blessing of God is in your life, it doesn't matter because God's just going to move you into something else. You could lose a house or a possession. You could lose your health. And it's okay because God's doing something and what's inside of you bears witness that he is more precious and powerful than what you feel on the outside or what you're going through. You can miss an opportunity if you have the spirit of God in you and yet not lose your hope or your joy or even your future because with God, that's just one opportunity of a million more that are going to come your way, and he's letting it pass by because he's got something better. You might be in a position right now where you're looking at what's going on in the world, and you think, well, I might not go to my prom, or I might not be able to have my wedding, or I might not be able, and you can look at a missed opportunity and say, oh, my life is ruined. But no, not when God is in you, because what God puts in you is sustainable, and even the grave can't take it away. And that's an amazing thing to even think about because sometimes you read Abel and you're like, well, he being dead yet speaks. Well, who cares he's dead? <laughs> You've thought that too. <laughs> but, but see, that's just because we don't understand that this is the temporary, this is the shadow, that's what's eternal. And anything that God has placed in you here, it doesn't matter. You, when, you, when you experience him in glory, that's all magnified beyond. Abel's faith was doing life God's way and living by a lamb. And it didn't make sense, but he said, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to live by the lamb. I'm going to trust in what God provided. That's going to be my life. For us, it means I'm going to live by the lamb, Jesus, that I'm going to trust him for my salvation and my favor, not by works that I have done, but only because of what he's done. That's why I stand. I'm going to live by the lamb. I'm going to live by prayer. I'm going to live by worship. I'm going to live by giving of myself. I'm going to live by dying to myself. I'm going to embrace whatever it means to lose my life for his sake up and take on my cross because I believe that if he says it, then that's the way I'm supposed to go. And that's faith. I believe it. And I'm choosing to do that. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. I can't see it, but I believe it. I'm choosing to do it. The next case that he gives us is in verse five. It's Enoch. He says, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, Abel, his faith was an act of worship, but Enoch, his faith was a walk in his daily life. It's one thing to act in faith, right? In a moment, like you just believe and you have a victory because you kind of walk by faith. We did it. We we, we move forward. We started the business and God brought, brought us. It's an act of faith, you know. It's completely another thing to walk by faith. And that's what it says concerning Enoch. The story of Enoch, it's given to us in three verses. It's in Genesis chapter five. It's such a small little passage that's so significant and so amazing. But it tells us that e Enoch lived for 65 years before he had his first son. And pretty much the idea is that for those first 65 years of his life when he was single and he didn't have to worry about a wife or kids or anything, that he could just do what he wanted and he pretty much did. You know, doesn't mean he was a bad guy. He just didn't have to rely on anybody else. It was all good. But then when he was 65, he had his first kid. And he looked at that kid and he said, I don't know how to do this. And he said, I'm going to have to learn how to lean on you, God, because I can't do this. And so from the time that he had his first child at the age of 65, it says from that day, Enoch made a decision. He made a choice that he was going to walk with God. He wasn't going to just check in with God for a few minutes in the morning every day. But that devotion time that he had, the intent of it was to establish a connection with God that would carry him throughout the rest of the day. He walked with God. He leaned on him every moment. 
That every trial that might come, he didn't bear it alone and say, I'm going to have to pray about this later. But God, he had the sense of God's presence with him. He leaned on him in every moment. Every need, every desire, every burden, every trial, every victory, every joy, he walked with God in it. That was his act of faith. He trusted God to make the right moves. He trusted God to be the right kind of person. He trusted God for the right outcomes. He trusted in the invisible God. He walked with him. And the result of that is it says that he was translated that he should not see death. Now, we know literally that this means that Enoch one day just was raptured. Boom. And we understand scripturally that that was a prefiguring illustration of God removing the righteous before the judgment of the flood. It's a picture of that. And literally, Enoch was translated. One day he walked, he didn't come home. He didn't die. He didn't run away. (laughs) He didn't change his identity and go somewhere else. God took Enoch. That's exactly what happened. It's one of only two people that that's ever happened to thus far. Enoch and Elijah. He was the other one. But Enoch was translated that he should not see death. But the idea behind it goes beyond that for you and I by application. To be translated really means three things. God translates those that walk with him in three ways. Number one is he translates their perspective. You ever, you ever been around someone who's very spiritually minded? I'm not talking about where they're like kooky in a, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing it, they're faking it, they're, they're twisting it, working it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who genuinely walks with God. And it's almost like they just think different than everyone else. They do. They see different than everyone else. They do. They hear different. They're, they're, they're translated. They're translating. They're, there's something different about them. They're moving in a realm of the unseen. And thus they don't act and operate and think and move like everybody else. They're walking in the spirit, the Bible calls it. They interpret life differently. They move through life differently. They're looking at life through a different kind of a lens. They are translated in their perspective. People that walk with God by faith are translated in their person. You become a different person when you walk with God. It's an amazing thing what it says about Enoch in Genesis 5.24. Do you see it? It'll go up on the screen. In Genesis 5.24, it says that Enoch walked with God. Watch this. And it says that he was not. Now just pause right there for a minute. That Enoch walked with God and he was not. What does that mean? It means that every day that Enoch walked with God, he was less Enoch. And that's what the Bible teaches, what happens to someone who walks with God. What did John the Baptist say? They said, they came to him and they said, what are you and who is he and what's going on here? And John just just, just cut through all that. He must increase, I must decrease. And that is the banner over the life of everyone that will walk by faith. And that is that every day that I walk with him, there's a little bit less of me and a little bit more of him. That's what happened. I shared with you earlier about the man who said, my brother is different. What happened? That's what happens. You begin walking with God and the old you, the corrupted you that's born and that is born so selfish and so self-consumed and self-absorbed, it starts to die. It's crucified with Christ. And the spirit of Christ overwhelms and overrules the old me. And I, day by day, become more like him. That's what happens when we walk with him. Enoch walked with God and was not. And when you walk with God by faith, you will change. Day by day, moment by moment, until the old you isn't recognizable anymore. And don't we long for the day when we can say that we walked with God and we, me, ceased. We're also translated literally. That is, as Enoch was translated from the place where he was to the place where God was, so also Jesus said, he that lives and believes in me shall not die. And there is a day coming that we will be in his presence just the same. But faith informed Enoch's life. He walked with God and it changed him from the inside out. So, Abel worshiped and he received something in himself that no one could ever take. And Enoch walked with God and he became someone that he could never produce. 
But what we see in verse 6, it says this. It says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Here's what it's saying to us in verse 6, and listen to it. That faith is a choice. Faith is something that we choose. It is possible to be without faith, and it is possible to be with faith. But there's three choices that are given to us there in verse 6. To come to him is a choice. For it says, it says that for he that comes to God must believe. And so to come to God is a choice that I make. I come to him, and I'm choosing that. I believe him. The second is to believe It says that he that comes to God must believe. He's putting the ball in our court and he's saying that the choice is with you to believe him, to have faith. And then thirdly, it says that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's a choice. I can choose to seek him or I can choose not to seek him. And that choice is going to yield an outcome. It's going to pay dividends. If I choose not to seek him, my life is going to look like something. And if I choose to seek him, my life is going to look like something. It's a choice. And everyone makes a faith choice. Every single one of us. Now, the Bible is filled from Genesis to Revelation with promises and declarations that God makes about himself, about us, and about how life works. It's full of it from the beginning all the way to the end. I think one of the most amazing promises, you could call it a promise or declaration that God makes, is just in his name alone. I mean, you can study the names of God, you know, that that are revealed, the Lord Almighty, the Lord our provider, the Lord our peace, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord who fights for us, you know, and it goes on and on and on, all the names that God has given. But the greatest name that God gave for himself, he gave to Moses. You guys know what it was? He said, tell me your name. And God says, my name is uh, should I tell him peace? Should I tell him more? Should I tell him righteousness, judgment? I am. He said, my name is I am. That's pretty wide open. I mean, that's painting with a broom, right? A broad brush. Like, like what, do you, what do you mean you're, you're I, I am? Well, what, what do you need right now? I mean, if I'm God and I can do all things and I know all things and nothing's too hard for me and I'm the God of all flesh, then what can't I do? I guess my name is I am. That means, well, what do I need? Well, today I need some peace. (laughs) I don't have, well, I am that. I'm the Lord, your peace. Lord, today I need some strength because I feel weak. I can barely move. Lord, please, I need some peace or some strength. And the Lord says, well, I'm the Lord Almighty. I'm the God that gives strength. I can do that. Lord, I'm in a real tough situation right now. I need some understanding. I need some discernment. I need some wisdom. Listen, you know what's amazing is that most of the things that we need, most of the things that we need are internal things, aren't they? Most of it is not money or, you know, favor at work, that kind of stuff. Most of what I need on a daily basis, it's internal. It's something on the inside. And often I think, well, God, you can't get in there. You know, you could drop some cash on me or something or make the job offer go through or the deal or whatever, but I need something. I need, Lord, I have brain fog today like I've never had. I can't even remember my name. Can you do that? I am. It's an amazing promise that God has given. He's given us the promise of salvation through Jesus. That in Jesus, he that knew no sin, the perfect and pure lamb of God, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our place in judgment that through faith in his name, I can be moved from the category of condemnation, judgment, and death to the category of forgiveness, favored, and life forevermore. That's a promise from God that comes with faith in Jesus. He gives me the promise of protection, that he'll be my shield, my armor, the one who goes before me, behind me, and the one who is my help. He makes a promise in the word that he will be my shepherd. Do you know what a shepherd does? A shepherd leads his sheep. That he promises that he will lead me. Not direct, not say, hey, I want you to go here today and do that. But moment by moment, he's going to lead me. These are promises that he makes. He makes declarations too, just general truths about us, about his people. 
He says this, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 22. He says that they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people and my elect shall long enjoy the works of their hands. Now, I just want to think about that for a minute. That God says, he says, my people, my people, their life is going to look more like a tree than any other thing I can compare. Now, what do you know about a tree? A tree starts off small. It grows up not really knowing what it is. It's kind of weak, and it doesn't produce much early on. But a tree never stops growing. It comes into a phase where it begins to bear fruit, and a tree will grow if it's in the right soil and it's rooted in the right place. It will grow until the time that it dies, until it passes away. And God says, that's going to be the way my people's lives are going to be, is that what I'm going to do in their life, it's going to grow up in them. They're going to come to a place of understanding who they are. At some point, they're going to look around at all the other trees and be like, I'm nothing. I'm never going to be anything. Like, I, I can't ever be like that. I can't do that. But you're going to abide rooted in him and you're going to grow. Fruit's going to start to come and it's never going to stop. God says in the Psalms that you're going to be bearing fruit even in your old age. These are declarations that God has made about our lives. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You're going to discover what you are. Now, a life of faith, to live by faith, to walk by faith, to choose faith, is to live in the blessing of these promises in a way where we position ourselves to receive and then experience and then enjoy what God has said that we are. Now, listen, in the days after Moses, remember Moses, the whole Ten Commandments, Exodus, they come out of Egypt, they go into the wilderness. And God had a desire at that point when he had built a nation, he had several million people that were supposedly trusting him. And he said, all right, this is it. I'm going to move you in now to what the Bible calls the promised land. It was called the promised land because God promised to give it to Abraham. And God described what it would be. He described it would be glorious, that it would be houses that you didn't build, vineyards that you didn't plant, a land that flows with milk and honey. It's going to be good. It's the promised land. It represents a person of God moving into a place where they're living in the glory of God's promises, the declarations and the things that he said. Now, God wanted to bring his people into that kind of a life, a promised land life. And so here's what God did. He directed Moses. And he said, Moses, I want you to take one leader from each of the 12 tribes, and I want you to send them ahead into the land, and I want them to get, a, get an idea, take a survey, look around at what's there, so that they can then bring word back and tell the people what's in the land, okay? Now, here was God's mind in having him do that, is that he wanted these leaders, these established, faithful people, to go into the promised land that was at that time inhabited by enemies, and he wanted them to see the glory of it, to see the fruit and the potential and the power and the, 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 the satisfaction that existed in that life. And then he wanted them to bring that back to where they were in the desert, in the wilderness, where they were scrawny and hungry and languishing. And he wanted them to cast vision. He wanted them to say, oh, wait till you see it. Wait till you see how different it is to live that kind of life. Wait till you see. They, they had grapes where one little cluster of grapes had to be carried by two people with a staff between their shoulders. Can you imagine that? They had pomegranates the size of bowling balls. I mean, the land was lush. It was fruitful. The houses were amazing. The conditions were awesome. It was such a stark contrast to what they were living in the wilderness. And God wanted them to come back and say, it's awesome. If God can do that for heathens that don't know him, what's he going to do for us? It's going to be unbelievable. We've got to go in. We'll go today. That's what God wanted. But they went in and they saw all that. They saw the graves. They saw the houses. They saw the fields. They felt the soil. They, they saw it. But they also saw their struggle. There's going to be a little bit of a battle here. We're going to have to overcome some things. We're going to have to overcome this laziness. We're going to have to overcome this, this, this addiction to failure and this addiction to our dysfunction. We're going to have to overcome you know, the, 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 the lack of self-confidence that we have. We're going to overcome a couple of things. There's some battles that we're going to fight if we're going to ever see this be real in our lives. So they came back and they said, listen, the land is good, but 
it's too hard. And we're like grasshoppers to those people. They're so big, they're giants. I mean, look, they eat grapes like this, and look what we're eating. We can't fight those people. I mean, this is ridiculous. And, and if we go in there, they're going to stomp us and squash us. And man, wouldn't it be great if we could? But we can't. That's what 10 out of the 12 men said. Now, two out of the 12, Caleb and Joshua, two out of the 12 came back and said, are you crazy? Let's go today. Let's go now. God told Abraham he's going to give him this land. God has given us his word that he's going to fight on our behalf. Let's go in now, today. And the people were like, no, grasshoppers, giants. I don't know. And listen, listen, listen. That day, it started with 10 men. They chose fear over faith. They chose to not believe. And they influenced an entire nation to choose unbelief over faith. And that's what happened. And instead of moving in to what they ultimately would 40 years later and conquering the enemy that they would 40 years later, instead of moving into what God wanted to do for them, they wandered until that entire generation died. Instead of embracing their dysfunction and going and fighting with God's help, they decided, you know what, I'd rather stay in a place that's safe than in a place that's satisfying. And so they wandered for 40 years around the mountain over and over, complaining and bitter and fearful and wandering and complaining and griping and yelling at God, being angry at God that he didn't do what he said he was going to do. And now they're right, they're 40 years, 40 years, because they chose to not believe. That was the result. They wandered. They never went any farther. This week, I, uh, I had a conversation with a man from Austria, and I didn't know him, and I didn't know where he was from, but I liked his accent, and so I asked him the question. I said, uh, where are you from? And he said to me, and I'm not going to try to imitate him right now, um, but he said, I am, I'll give you a clue. He said, I'm not from where Arnold Schwarzenegger's from. You know, and I think he was supposed to imply that he sounded like Arnold, but he really didn't sound like Arnold. I know Arnold, you know, and and so he, so I said, "Are you from Austria?" He goes, "Yes, that's you know whatever." And then and then I said, "Oh, okay." I said, "I go, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger." I I said, "He's an interesting guy. Um, you love him or hate him, you know, and 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 all." And yeah, he, I don't know that he's saved, and you you guys can tell me how wicked he is and all this stuff. But I said, "But but one thing you, you got to give Arnold Schwarzenegger." is that he removes every excuse someone would make about why they can't <laughs> in the United States of America. You know, I mean, here's a guy that everything he's ever done, he's taken it to the highest level, gotten bored, and tried so, done something else. He's done it like three or four times, you know, in his life. And he just keeps doing it over and over again. And, and you got to hand it to him. I mean, it's really remarkable what he's done. But I was thinking about it a little bit later after the conversation was over, and I was like, well, why is that? Like, what is it about Arnold? You know, I mean, it isn't like the blessing of God. I'm not going to call it that. I mean, the guy's admittedly not believing, you know, so it's not God. What is it? Here's what it is. is that Arnold never asked permission to do what he did. He, he, what he did is that he saw that in the United States of America, we have permission to make something of ourselves. We are guaranteed in the United States of America by the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. We are given permission on the highest foundational level to just go do something. And he said, I'm just gonna go there. I can't do it where I am here, so I'll go there. So he came here and he asked no one's permission, he just started to do. Do you realize that man will never give you permission to do something? Never. Because you'll ask permission. You'll say, can I start a business? And you know what they're going to say? Yes. If you get a degree first and you study business and you learn marketing and you make a business plan and then you go, and you're going, oh, 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 that's not permission. Okay. That's jump through hoops and one day you'll get there. Okay. Ask per you, you will always be given roadblocks every time you ask permission to do something. Can I build a building? Yes. If you go before the zoning board and the planning board and you, you know, and, and, and get the zoning board of appeals and you're not too free from a barrier and then, you know, and you're like, Oh, I can't, I forget it. Look, 
Arnold just goes, I've got permission. I'm going to do it. And he did it. And listen, other than the Constitution, no, let me say it the other way because it just gives too much. The Bible gives you permission. Do you understand? Like God says, I have placed my spirit in you. I made you in my image. I have made you so unique and so individual. And you are just made to flourish. You're made to grow roots. You're made to do something and be something and be satisfied. And your life is to be not maybe up and to the right every single day, but that's what it means. That's what I want for you. Do you believe it? Will you take the permission that God has given to you? to become who God wants you to be. That's the question that's before us. That's the thing, the opportunity that every one of us has. The faith life doesn't happen in the head and it doesn't happen with the eyes and the ears. The faith life happens in the heart. Hebrews chapter three, verse seven through 13 describes this and I wanna read it to you, okay? Because there's a choice that you and I make in our heart of whether or not we're gonna believe and walk with God or not. Listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter three, verse seven. He says, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says today, if you will hear his voice, not, it's not saying that if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice today, no, 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 no. It's not if you hear his voice. It's if you will hear his voice. If you want to hear his voice, if you want God in your life, then he says, then harden not your heart. Do you see that it's the heart? It's not the understanding. It's not the eyes and the ears. It's in the heart. It's in the deepest part of your spirit. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Talking about Israel who wandered. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they would not enter my rest. Now here's the application, verse 12. Take heed, this is for you. Brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. See, faith is a choice. We can choose to believe God or we can choose to not believe God. He calls it an evil heart that is an unbelieving heart but rather exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you, watch this, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That is that you would be more enticed by the pleasures and the temporary things of this life and thus you harden your heart to faith and believing in the things of God to walking with him and your heart becomes hard to where you cannot any longer hear him. He sums up the warning this way in chapter 4, verse 1. This is purely for you tonight. He says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it, meaning that they heard, they knew what God promised to Abraham. They knew, they knew, but they wouldn't believe. And thus the word that is powerful had no effect on their life because they couldn't choose to just simply believe it. For we which have believed, verse three, do enter into rest. That is the promises of God, the promised life. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Faith starts with a vision, okay? Faith starts when you begin to see something that cannot be seen with the physical eye, a vision that can only be seen through the eyes of the heart. That's why the apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter one, verse 17, and let it soak in. He said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. It's faith. 
according to the working of his mighty power. Paul says, I pray for you daily that the eyes of your understanding, that the eyes of your heart would be opened and that you would have the ability to see the invisible thing, the invisible substance and what glory there is in it, and what power there is in it, and what relationship and communion with God there is in it, and what life there is in knowing him, I pray that your eyes would be opened. Because faith starts with a vision. It is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. You can't see it, but you can see it. It starts with a vision. Now listen, where we're going, okay, As a world, whether you like it or not, you're going to need some faith and you're going to need some eyes to see beyond what's right in front of you. And I dare to warn you tonight that if you're one of those people that likes to plan everything out and understand what the whole next year is going to look like, you're going to have a real rough year because where we're going, you're going to need to trust God a little bit, probably a little bit more than you ever have. And there's going to be some swings and some turns and some things And you're going to have to be in a place where your faith is set in him, that he is shepherding us through this, that he is leading, that he's not done yet, that there is still a rest and a promised life in him in spite of what's going on in the world today. But the amazing thing is that when you see God through eyes of faith, nothing else really matters. Isn't it interesting that the human eye cannot focus on two things in different places at the same time? You can see in your peripheral vision, you can see other things, but you can't focus on two things. That means you have a choice. You can either choose to focus on God and look at him and see what he has said, or you can look at everything else that's going on around you, and only one of those two things is going to have your focus and your attention. That's why Jesus said, if your eye is single, that your whole body will be full of light. And here's my question to you tonight. Do you want what you want, or do you want what God is doing and what God will do. Because faith sees that what he's doing is better than what you want and that empowers you to trust him in peace. That's why it says in Isaiah 26, 3, that he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. So faith starts with a vision and then it finishes with a decision. Is that you choose to be a decisionary is that in your heart, you make the declaration that I don't belong to any man, I don't belong to a government, I don't belong to anyone's approval of what I'm doing or who I am. I don't need permission to be who I am or become who God's calling me and shaping me to be. But I choose to live for him. I choose to walk by faith. I choose to act in faith. I choose to live by faith. And you know what God's gonna do? He's gonna do what he did for Abel and he's gonna put something in you that no one can take from you that no circumstance can take from you, that no government can take from you, that no edict or law can take from you, that no pandemic or disease can take from you, that even what death cannot take from you because what God puts in you, no one can take from you. And God is gonna do for you what he did for Enoch. He'll translate you in ways that you could never expect. The way that you think, the way that you respond, the way that you see, the way that you live who you are as a person, and one day, ultimately, your location, where you are before him. And God will do for you what he did for Caleb. Caleb was, not you, sorry, brother. (laughs) Caleb was one of the two spies that came back and said, no, we've got to go in and take the land. And what God said to Caleb is he said, listen, you might be 85 years old by the time it comes around, but you're going to see my land And you're going to take the mountain that I have ordained that is your life. And when Caleb was 85 years old, he came to Joshua without a walker, without a cane. And he said, listen, Joshua, he goes, I'm 85 years old this day. He said, my natural eyesight is not dimmed and my strength is not abated. I have what I had then. I have it now. And if you'll give me permission, I'm going to go at 85 years old and take what God has ordained that I have in my life. And Joshua said, go. And Caleb took the mountain of Hebron and it became his, a possession for him and for his family for generations to come. And his name goes down in history as someone who believed God. And even later in life, he took what God had for him. And God will do that for you. He will give you the mountain of your inheritance. It starts with a decision. And I challenge you tonight as we close, you may be here in this place right now and you say, I need more faith. 
My eyes are divided. My affections are divided. My hearing is somewhat dulled. My seeing isn't clear. I find myself living more according to what's going on around me and I'm responding to that rather than looking to God. And if tonight you just find yourself in a place where you say, I need more faith, I, I want to choose to believe, I would invite you just right now just to stand where you are. I want to pray for you. You would say and just stand before God and say, God, I need more faith. I want to walk with you by faith. I want to live by faith. I want to love by faith. I want to serve by faith. I want to see by faith. I want to respond. I want to father by grace. I want to work by grace, by faith. I want to live by faith. Father, we pray right now for those that in their heart they have a desire and a longing for more of you. Lord, I find in my heart standing among them that I want to be as Enoch, Lord, to walk with you every day, day by day. I want to repent, Lord, of living for the approval of people or waiting for permission to, to become or to do or looking at man before I look to you. Oh, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, that we would see the invisible, that we would hear the inaudible, that our lives would be an example to the world, that faith looks like something and produces something, and that in it, Lord, you would be glorified and magnified in us. Father, tonight we choose to believe. In spite of what's going on in the world around us, in spite of the fear, the chaos, the confusion, the war, the unrest, the voices, we choose to look to you, Lord. And we plead your promise that you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And you might be here tonight, and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And I want you to just think about this for a minute. Is that do you really believe that your existence and that your person and your personality and your soul and everything that makes you who you are, do you really think that that's just a coincidence? The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God knit you together, not just physically, but in your soul, in your mind, in your emotions, in your affections. He made everything that you are. And the Bible says that God loved you so much that he didn't want to leave you in a place of separation from himself and knowing that you would never be able to find your way back to him. He sent his son Jesus to live the perfect earthly life that you failed to live. But then he let him die and bleed out on a sinner's cross. And he absorbed the punishment and the wrath for your sins. And now the Bible declares that if you will choose to place your faith in what that lamb did for you. That God will not only forgive your sin, but he will move into your heart like a Mack truck. And your life will be made brand new as you begin a relationship and a communion with God. Do you believe it? Underneath all of the voices of skepticism and of science so-called, and of deception, and of darkness. Do you believe what God says about you? If you do, I just invite you right now to pray this prayer with me of opening your heart and asking Jesus to come inside. Just pray this with me. And everybody pray with me so that no one feels like they're praying alone. Dear Jesus, I open my heart to you. Please come inside. I believe who you are. And I want you to be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Seal me with your spirit. Come into my life. Help me know you and live for you. I believe that you love me, that you died for me, that you rose again, that you're returning. Please write my name in your book. And fill me with yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you, if you've just prayed that prayer for the first time and asked Jesus into your life, would you be brave and maybe just shoot your hand up in the air and let it be known? In this place tonight that you gave your life to Jesus, 
You've trusted him for your salvation. Is there anyone here? Father, we just thank you so much, and we pray that you would send us forward, Lord, that we would live a different kind of life, that we would look like something different. Lord, we magnify you and exalt you for your purpose, for your, for your name, for who you are. Please, Lord, send us in your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.